0: Uh, We we had a wonderful week. It it was a blessing to have, like I said, nearly 70 kids, uh, grades 1 through 3, running around the building Uh, this week. We we did main sessions in here. We had rotations and crafts. And uh, as you saw the dunk tank, uh, a few unfortunate people uh, had to go in there. Uh, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it seemed. Uh, I was actually, it was here till yesterday, and I was hoping that they'd just leave it and we could have a, a dunking contest uh, after the service. But alas, they, they took it with them uh, and they picked it up. So, uh, But you we know, had such a blessing. And I want to thank all the volunteers who walked with kids, who helped with crafts, helped with lunch, uh, helped with uh, preparing lunch and providing all the snacks. We had an overabundance of desserts, so thank you, bakers. Uh, I think I ate way too many cupcakes uh, this week, but uh, and even those who uh, who were home praying, we we appreciate that because without the prayer support, uh, it would not have been as successful as it was. Uh, and I also thank you to the people who came out yesterday. Uh, yesterday morning, we made light work of cleaning up, and other than the decorations behind me, you would probably not even know that we had such an event here at church because we were able to take down and clean. Uh, the building. So, thank you for everyone who was involved uh, with Kids Venture and also at VBS uh, over at Milford. Uh, what we did this week uh, at Mystery Island, there we go. Got a couple people who are still awake. Uh, Captain Dave took us around the island and we met different creatures, different animals who helped us learn different things about who God is. Uh, we learned that God is great, He's the one true God. God is almighty, He is all knowing, always present, and all powerful. God is ruler. He is the holy king of the universe. God is Emmanuel. Jesus lived among us. And God is trustworthy. He's bigger and greater than our unanswered questions. And so amongst all the fun, we learn these things. Uh, and these things help set and introduce the backdrop for today's uh, sermon, uh, as we'll be talking about loving God with an impressing legacy. And it's, it's because of who God is, because he is these things and more, that we, that we can love him, that we are called to love him. It wouldn't even matter uh, if God had done nothing for us, if God could do absolutely nothing for our benefit, and he could still rightly call us to love him. He could rightly hold us to that standard because he is holy and righteous and perfect. And he created everything, and everything we have, uh, we are to devote to him. And so we pick up, this morning we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We pick up, and Moses is giving a secondary or reminder sermon to the nation of Israel. This is the younger generation who has survived the 40 years in wandering the desert as the the penalty, the punishment for the unfaithful generation who doubted God at the report of the the 12 spies. And so Moses had reminded them of the Ten Commandments in chapter 5, and now he comes into chapter 6. Uh, giving them this command, giving them this charge that Jesus will actually repeat uh, from Leviticus uh, in, in Matthew. But let's read together Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which i commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be long hear therefore o israel and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the lord the god of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign to your hand. You shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is found in it. We thank you for the challenge uh, that it calls us to be more than we can be. Lord, that you hold us to a standard that is only attainable by your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the regeneration of our hearts, the renewing of our minds. And Lord, we pray as we studied this morning, you would open our hearts to, to believe our minds, to understand, and that they would be connected in a way that we would be able to apply this And live this out. That we would love you with everything that we have. And that we would impress this upon our children. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see in these first uh, three verses, Moses is doing something. He's reminding the people of the covenant. He's reminding the people who God is. And why is it important for them and for Moses to remind the people of who God is? It's important because God is faithful. He's reminding them of the covenant that he made with their forefathers, the promises specifically that he made with Abraham in the covenant that he made back, and we see in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Moses is reminding the people that God is now fulfilling this promise. He's bringing this promise to completion. They are literally right outside of the land, and they can probably see it. Some of it can see it across the Jordan River, and he's reminding them that even through all the stuff they've gone through, the 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt, that God has been faithful to fulfill his promise. So we must not forget who God is, right? God is great. He's almighty, ruler, Emmanuel, and trustworthy, right? And Moses is picking up and laying down that God is trustworthy. So no matter what they faced, God was going to continue his promise, As believers, we have the same assurance in the New Covenant. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes to them, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So together in Christ, we are connected. We are given a promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us, and he will hold us and keep us until the end. No matter what happens in the course of our life, God is going to keep us in this covenant that he's made with the blood of Christ. And so we need to remember that, again, God didn't have to do a single thing for us, and yet he still calls us to love him perfectly, but he's gone above and beyond and loved us perfectly and therefore given us the ability, the power, and the opportunity to love him as well. And so this remembering who God is leads us to the point of confession. Not confession per se in the same sense of repenting. Well, that does have a place. But confessing to acknowledge. Acknowledging who God is. And we see this in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This passage is commonly referred to as the Shema. The Shema is a Jewish word for meaning to hear or to obey. And to obey isn't, or to hear isn't just simply like, hey, listen up. This is kind of important, so you might want to tuck it away. No, this is obey. Do this. So you could read it as Israel, do this. Remember this. The Lord is one. And when we think of the word one, there's two things that really come out in this passage. One is God's uniqueness. God is one. There is one God. Right? And this is a stark contrast to the pagan polytheism that would be been surrounded the Israelites. The land that they were about to enter was full of people who believed in multiple gods, who served multiple gods, worshipped multiple gods, and God was calling them to believe in one. It wasn't God, it was just another God. God amongst many, or he isn't just the superior God amongst other inferior gods. No, he is the one God. He is unique. In Isaiah 46, God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. So Israel stood out amongst the other people, this belief that their God was one. We also see this idea of unity. The oneness of God alludes to God's unity. The Trinity is hinted at throughout the Old Testament, but is revealed more clearly in the New Testament. And God as three persons does not nullify this idea of God being one. It actually speaks to, again, to God's uniqueness. But also, there's none like him. This word one also comes up in Genesis chapter 2, where it talks about Adam and Eve being one, married as one. And so the unity and bond in marriage is a small picture of the unity that God experiences in the Trinity. It's an example of that. He's become one. So God has made a covenant with his people and God is one. We remember that God is one, which leads us to the commandment. It leads us to understanding what we're called to do. Because God has made a promise with us. Because God is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to love God? The world is full of examples and books and letters and movies and stories and shows and about love. Right. You got your romantic novels. You have your romantic comedies. You have your love stories of real life. Right. But what does it mean to love? If you look at the world, the world would say love is a, an emotion. It's a feeling. You fall in and out of love. You can love for a while and then, oh, I'm tired of loving or you become too difficult to love. So I'm going to love someone else. But love, according to God, according to the Bible, is a choice. Much like we talked about last week, forgiveness is a choice that we have to make. Whether we feel like forgiving or not, love is also a choice, an act of the will, whether we feel like it or not. And more times than not, it happens. We have to do it even when we don't feel like it. This is especially true when it comes to loving God because we don't naturally love God. Left unto ourselves, we will not seek God. Romans 3.11 says, No one understands, no one seeks for God. We cannot seek God. But that doesn't change God's standard, right? It's like, oh, well, since you can only jump this high, we'll lower the bar down here. No, the, the bar is set, and we must rise to it. And through the Spirit, we are able to rise to love God. But loving God means we obey Him. We follow His commands. We do what He asks us to do, and we give Him honor, glory, respect, and praise. Loving God also means that we love Others because God loves others. Forgiving people, sacrificing for people, giving of ourselves and the things we have in order to bless other people. God loved the world in such a way that He gave His only Son, John three sixteen, for He loved the world that he so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Raises the question Are we willing to give our kids for God's purpose? God was willing to give His Son for our benefit, for His glory. Are we willing to give our kids for His purpose? God is kind; He's tender towards us. He forgave us. We looked at Ephesians four thirty-two last week, I believe, and to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It raises a second question: Are we tender to others? Are we forgiving of them? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is commonly referred to as the love chapter, Uh, commonly read at weddings. It doesn't necessarily have to, it it doesn't only deal with with a couple in love, but all love should be patient and kind, should not boast, not be arrogant or rude, insists on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So we are called to love God in this way. A love that never ends. No expiration date on love. And consequentially love other people this way. But God doesn't just leave it up to us to set the mark for what love is or how much we should love. Because, you know, I don't have so much love to go around. No, he says we need to love totally to love with everything that is within us, our heart, our soul, and our might. The heart was the, the seat of the, the intellect, right? In Old Testament anthropology, when they talked about the heart, they were talking more of what we would consider the mind, our thoughts. Our thoughts should be held captive to God and to his will. We should love God with our thoughts. We should love God with our, our thinking, the way we think, what we think about, our reasons should be in a way that are loving God. We see this in the way our minds are being renewed. In Romans 12, it talks about renewal of our mind and testing that we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our sanctification is part of this, right? It's the will of God. Our sanctification is the will of God, that we will be renewed. Our minds are being transformed. We see this in the salvation of the world. Again, John 3, 16, God desires for the world to be saved, to seek and to find salvation. The soul is the the inner person, the spiritual being of us, our desires and our sensibilities. It includes our thoughts, but also our our emotions, our feelings. It is we are to love God with all that is inside us, the totalness of our body. No part is to be not surrendered to God. The soul is the essential Part The breath of life that God breathed into Adam in creation. And then obviously our might is the strength, the physical side. Everything we do, our actions, our functions, we're to express our love to God and demonstrate through what we do in our actions. And so completely to love God with all that is within us, nothing to be held back. As the psalmist writes in 103 verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, And all that is in within me, bless his holy name. So what does this mean? What does it mean to love God with all that is in us? Everything that we have. Do we run to God for everything? Do we run to God and cherish him in such a way that nothing else will suffice? When we are sad, do we run to him? When we are happy, do we run to him? When we have a bad day, when we are tired and worn out, do we run to him? I think quite often for myself, I end up running to to other things, right? We run to created things, things that are, are blessings, but also can take the place of God. That can be people, family, maybe it's food, television shows or movies, sports. Maybe it's other things like alcohol or drugs or pornography or work or hobbies. We pour ourselves in, we dive deep into these things because we think that they're going to satisfy us and alleviate the pain that we're feeling. But the only thing that will last is God. The only thing big enough, the only one big enough to handle all of our stuff is God. All these other things, whether they're good or bad, innately good or bad, are going to run out. They're going to expire. They're going to last for a little while, but then we're going to be left perhaps even more empty than when we began. We are to love God with everything we have. Everything we do should be directed towards him. And we should run to him when we are feeling the weight of the world to cast our fears and our cares upon him. But it doesn't end there. Moses doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, Oh, yeah, love God with all you have. That's all I need to say. No, he goes a step further because we need to communicate this to the next Generation. He talks about in verse 2, your son and your son's son. And he says in verse 5, and or verse 7, sorry, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them, talk of these laws, these statutes, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. you shall They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So in verse 6, we see we are impress them upon our own hearts, but then also to impress them on the hearts of our kids. Right? to so this word to teach diligently means to impress or to wet or sharpen. It's like wetting a, or sharpening a, a blade or a stone. Right? You take care to and precision to sharpen a blade. To properly do it, you can't just willy-nilly slide it on the stone because you're either going to damage the blade or not even sharpen the knife. The other part about sharpening a knife is, I don't know about you, but I've never woken up in the morning, gone down, and found my kitchen knives to be sharp all by themselves. Right? Sharpening a knife doesn't happen precariously or by chance. There's a intentionality and a care to sharpening something. Then, The truth of the matter is we are all impressing something. We're always teaching our kids something, teaching something. But what are we teaching? Are we diligently teaching and diligently pressing upon them the things of God to love God with everything that is within us? As a parent, it's hard to balance the line of knowing and wanting what's best for your kids, allowing them to make their own choices and mistakes. And we want to protect them. We want to see them flourish and thrive. As Christian parents, we want to see them live lives in God's will, following Him. And as a past, present, and future challenge, every day presents new challenges and opportunities to learn and grow in our parenting. And now before some of you tune me out because, oh, I'm not a parent, I don't have kids, I want to remind you that together we're we're the family of God. As we talked about last week, we're the household of God. We're all responsible for teaching impressing these things upon the next generation. We've been adopted into God's family. Therefore, this applies to all of us. We are all called to pass on this truth. And Think about your own story. Maybe, I'm sure, there's someone other than your mother and your father who impressed spiritual truth upon you, whether it's a Sunday school teacher or a camp counselor or a pastor. Someone has impressed these ideals, the spiritual truths of God, and fearing God in, onto your life. And each of us, whether it's good or bad, have been impressed by someone in the sense that they have taught us something. We've learned from them. We've picked up habits from them. But what habits are you impressing upon the next generation? What, what areas of life are you in, you expressing value or placing value on? What compromises are you telling kids and that are okay to make, what guardrails are we putting in place to stay on track? And this is so hard. This is so difficult in the day and age we live because we live in the country of, that's flowing with milk and honey. Now, when I was a kid, I heard this phrase. I always thought the Israelites were going up into this land and that there'd be like rivers of honey and milk just flowing. I'm like, that sounds really cool. Kind of like a Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory vibe. Uh, but then, as I grew older and I learned what it means, it's it's really talking about an example of prosperity. That the Israelites were going to go into this land, and God was going to bless them, and they were going to have the things that they needed. They were going to have plentiful milk, because the fields would be lush, and the goats would produce milk, and they would have honey from the bees, and they would be just luxury items that you think of, okay, we have the essentials, and we have the luxury items. And we live in a land similar to that, where we can literally pick up our phone and push a button and have anything we want delivered to our door in like two hours or less. We, can, we have such an abundance of availability, things that are continuing to distract us, right? We have, we have subscriptions to almost anything you want. We have content you just watch in a second that literally is distracting us and can distract us. But we are told to teach these things, teach the love of God to our children as we come and go, eat and sleep, as we get up and we go to bed. Moses is employing a hyper- hyperbole, but it makes the point that we're constantly to be doing this day and night. We are to do this and not leave other people to do it, not leave it to others. Can others help? Certainly. But it's our responsibility to press and impress these ideas of loving God onto our children. And it was so important that we remember to press them first on our own hearts because if they're on our hearts, they're going to be coming out and flowing out and be able to be picked up in the way we interact with our kids, interact in our homes, interact with other people. We need to be vigilant, as Moses points out, posting them on the door and on your gates. We need to be vigilant about what is being viewed, listened to, or talked about in our homes. It's such a challenge. And if you have young kids, it's really a challenge because they see something and they don't know any better. Like, oh, that looks fun. That's a fun movie. And you're like, I don't, I don't know. Is it? Maybe it is. But as a parent, you have to guard what they're watching. It used to be just about who you invited into your home. All right. We're going to invite people that we trust into our home. We're going to allow our friends, friends whose parents we trust into our home. Are we going to allow our par- our kids to go to friends' homes that we trust and we know their parents? But now it's much more difficult because it can be a, a show, it can be on your phone, it can be on an iPad, it can be on the TV. It, content is being consumed all the time. We must be vigilant. But at the end of the day, it's, it's scary. It's scary because there's no guarantee, there's no promise, per se, that they will believe. We can do all the right things. We can teach them consistently, devoted to teaching them, and there's no Guarantee, unless the Spirit awakens their hearts, that they will follow and trust God. And it's scary, and so there's a few things I think that hold us back. Fear is one of them, right? We're we're scared. We're afraid what will what will happen. We're afraid how they will appear to the world. I remember we went out west when I was uh, a young teenager, and there was a family out at one of the sites, and they had all these. I, at the time, I considered them cheesy Christian shirts. So they were like the ripoff, like, uh, they take a famous brand and like write Jesus on it or something like that. Like, Reese's, it would say Jesus, or something like that. And I just looked at it like, and I shook my head. I'm like, why? They're so weird. Why are they weird? Like, why are they doing that? But why not? They were happy. They were having fun. They didn't care. We're worried. We're scared that our children will look different and be weird, stand out among a world that is so different. Right? We fear that they will miss out on opportunities. We want our kids to be well-rounded and socially acceptable individuals, and we fear that they will miss out on opportunities to be who we want them to be. We also have fear of what God will do with them or to them. What path is God going to take them down? What path is God going to, what trials will they face? What difficulties will be, come their way for God to get glory from their lives? I read recently in a, in a book, a letter uh, to a missionary couple who they were serving, I don't remember exactly where they were serving, they were serving in a tribe, in a village that was very closed to the gospel. Uh, they had been there for several years, it seemed, and they were not making any progress in advancing the gospel and sharing the gospel with people. And then one day, uh, their six-year-old son got hit by a truck and died. Through that, and their, their knowledge of God's grace and their, his peace, the village was opened, became opened up to the gospel. They, they saw how they handled that situation. God used that ter- terrible situation to open the door for the gospel to be shared in that village. And many came to a saving knowledge of God from that experience. And I read, as I read that, I, I had paused and I thought to myself, like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could lose one of my kids for God's glory in that way. We want to keep them safe. We have this fear of the unknown, and so we try to hold on to control. The place, our fear plays into our dreams. We all have dreams for our kids. We have dreams that they'll grow up one day and they'll be successful. They'll be better than we will. We don't want to see them fail. We want to see them succeed which there's nothing wrong with that. But I battle with myself over the dreams I have for my daughters. I, I want them to grow up and be healthy, mature, and confident young women. I want them to be financially secure and to find loving husbands who will care for them and protect them and love them. Uh, and I want them then, to obviously, to have grandbabies and to enjoy lots of grandbabies. I just think that's a fun stage in life that you can take care of them and then you send them home. You sugar them up and you send them home. It just just sounds so much fun. (laughs) But I would trade all of that if I knew that they'd be walking with the Lord all their days. It It doesn't matter what kind of career they have. It doesn't matter if they even get married or if they are living on a minimum wage. But if they're following the Lord, if they're loving God with everything that they have, that would be worth it. The, the third thing that gets in the way is guilt. I haven't started yet. Uh, I wanted to do it, but it never worked out. I've wasted so much time. Maybe your kids are, are teenagers. Maybe they're grown up. Maybe they have kids of their own. Just start today. Don't allow the guilt to hold you back, to inhibit you from starting today. Every day is a new gift. Every day is a new opportunity Don't allow mistakes or misstarts hinder you from starting today. And the fourth one, is especially for you who are not parents, maybe you're thinking like, well, I don't have any kids, so cool. I'm off the hook. Now, I want you to to look around. Now, most of the kids have already gone to children's shirts, so maybe there aren't so many here, but think figuratively, the kids. And if you saw the video, the number of kids that were here this week what are you doing to be a spiritual parent to them? How are you training them to love God and follow his commandments? Are you praying for them? Are you talking to them? Are you getting to know them? Are you coming alongside them and lifting them up before the Lord in prayer? So what does this, what does this all mean? What, how are we to love God with everything we have and then impress this upon our children? Every decision... We make Every emotion that we dwell on, every action that we take should be done in a loving way towards God in order to seek to his honor, to his glory, and to glorify his name. Our lives to be lived in a manner that is worthy of our calling, worthy to be called Christians. But we also understand it's not on our own strength. It's not by our own sheer willpower that we can love God because we can't. What was in within us, apart from the Holy Spirit, is nothing but worthless rags. We need the Spirit to help us. It's also a daily challenge. We can't wake up tomorrow and say, all right, from now on I'm going to love God with everything I have, and then let let it go the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks. It's a daily act of the will. We must choose to love God daily, morning, afternoon, evening. And we need to fight through the feelings of apathy and complacency, the feelings of prosperity. When things are good, we often think, oh well, we're we're great. We're doing well. God is blessing us. And we tend to rely on the blessing rather than the blesser. We need to search for God and love Him constantly. The same goes with impressing this upon our kids. It's not it's a regular daily task. It can't be done one day a week and expect it to make a difference. Nothing else in life is, we never approach anything else in life the same way, right? When, you, when you're when you on a diet, you don't diet one day a week and then the six other days you just eat whatever you want. If you do that, your diet's probably not going to work out the way you are hoping, right? We don't work out one day and expect to see results as if we were working out every day. And eating, we don't, most of you may be going ready to have a nice big Sunday afternoon lunch and that I'm sure that's not the only meal that you're going to eat this week, If you just ate one day, you would probably be hungry by maybe at least Tuesday. Some of us maybe by Sunday evening. But we are constantly be feeding. We need to do this daily, teaching them about God and making the most of the opportunities we have with them. Because of who God is, he is worthy for us to devote everything to him and to impress this upon our children. If we believe that God is worthy, if we believe That our entire life will be devoted to Him, and we will be devoted to passing this legacy on to our children, making the most of every opportunity to teach them, to impress on them the importance of loving God above all else, willing to sacrifice anything and everything for His sake. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for your word again, we thank you for the challenge. That, that calls us to be something more. It doesn't leave us where we're at and say, you're good enough. But with the power of your spirit, you motivate our hearts to, to action. You motivate our minds to being renewed, regenerated, so that we would love you in a way that you've called us to love you. Lord, we'll, we'll rarely, if ever, love you perfectly here on earth, Lord, but we long for the day when we will be in your company, in your presence, and we'll love and embrace your glory Lord, we pray that amidst all the distractions and all the things that get in the way, Lord, here on earth, Lord, the, the many blessings that we have, the things, the gifts from you that are for our benefit, Lord, that we would not be caught up in, in those things and content with just those things, where we would see through all the blessings to you and that we would pay everything to you, that we would be consistent. In impressing these things upon our, the hearts and the lives of our kids, Lord, that you would do it with, as you would and you would call them to yourself, Lord, and that you would embolden us to step out of our comfort zone and to reach out to other kids, to, to the families that are around us, to support them in a way that is lifting them up before you, that they would be naive, would not be distracted by the things of this world, that they would not, be, uh, they would not fall trapped to the temptations of this world but they would pursue you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.